Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life. It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. This week's guest is Alfred Jackson, a pop and R&B recording artist from LA. Recently, I had the great pleasure of meeting Alfred on a cruise ship where he was performing as a guest entertainer in the boy band Uptown. I was so captivated by Alfred's talent, energy, charisma, and charm on stage, and I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to interview him in person on the ship. This was a fascinating conversation with Alfred, who shared his personal journey throughout the entertainment industry, which began at the age of nine and has led him to numerous and quite diverse career highlights. Some of these include being cast in numerous musical theatre productions, such as The Book of Mormons in Sydney, Australia, directing West Side Story touring in The Man in the Mirror show across the US, entertaining at Universal Studios Japan and performing with numerous boy bands. Alfred has also had a very successful recording career as a singer-songwriter, being signed to numerous music labels over the years. At the age of 14, he was signed to his first record label, And he talks about how he was mistreated and body shamed at such a vulnerable young age. He tells us that it was his mother who kept him grounded in an industry which could have destroyed his life. Over the years, Alfred has released two original albums which have been inspired by his own life experiences. His latest body of work is titled Ugly in which he shares his deeply personal account of his life and the importance of legacy. Alfred also discusses how he takes care of his physical, mental and emotional health and well-being in an industry where self-care is paramount. You are going to love this interview with Alfred Jackson as he shares his stories, his experiences and some great advice for others wanting to pursue a career in the music industry. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Welcome to A Voice and Beyond, Alfred Jackson. Hello. So good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. And it's been such a pleasure watching you perform here on the cruise ship. We are still on Celebrity Beyond, on a Beyond Adventure. Right. <laughs> and I feel very privileged to be able to speak to you as performers here on the ship and get an insight into what life is like for you, but also what your backgrounds are. And you are a singer-songwriter. I am. You are a recording artist. I am. You are a musical (laughs) theatre performer. I am. (laughs) (laughs) A guest entertainer here with Celebrity Cruise Lines as part of a three-piece boy band called Uptown. Uptown. And you perform Soul Motown. Funk? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And 
so beautifully and it is such a high energy show and your energy level is next level (laughs) as a singer as a dancer you're Corey I don't know how you do it I think you must train on a treadmill you know I I I did do some of that growing up running the treadmill running and and doing the breathing techniques while out in the street doing a good job so, really? yeah, a lot of training in that. But I just always wanted to perfect that so you didn't hear me out of breath. I've never heard you out of breath. And not <laughs> only that, I don't even see your shoulders moving. Uh, like you are out of breath. And right. even when you speak after you've done that, Corey, everything is so calm. Yeah, it's about a pace. I think for me, I learned the choreo and then I figure out how I'm going to get that note out. What's the best way to execute the movement? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's all about a pace. And like I said... I don't want anyone to know that I'm tired or out of breath. I want people to be like, wow, he really did this nonstop. And we can't hear any heavy breathing. No, no. <laughs> and, and I've seen three of your shows yes. and one I've seen twice. And the second time I watched that show, mm-hmm. because I'd already seen it, right. I was kind of then micro-watching it uh-huh. and just seeing what you were all doing and how you were doing it. And... Not only, like, as I said, are you high energy and not only is the singing so powerful, but just, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but while we're talking about this, do you have input in that choreography and is there a time you go, okay, whoever is choreographing this, do you say to them, that is too much? (laughs) So when the show was first created, it was created by Joel. He and the other two guys, they put the movement together. Um, over time, the show has evolved. And when we do add new songs, we do give input. We'll go, oh, and sometimes I'm like, that's a bit much. That's a bit much. Or we'll go, how do we pace ourselves to mm-hmm. make sure that we can ex- execute this vocally? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just do the movement over and over again. And I'm a perfectionist. So yes. I like to find ways to think of creative ways to get that note out, whether it be in a movie. If it's a squad and I've got to hit that note, how do I hold it there and then shoot that note out. Yeah. Yeah. So you're from LA. Yes, born and raised. Yeah, yeah. And you did tell me earlier that you have moved around, but where did your singing journey commence? Oh, my goodness. I started in church at the age of four. And where did we live around that time? Gardena. Gardena. I've never heard of that. <laughs> it sounds yeah. very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in LA, uh, Gardena is where I, I think my first memory of my first place as a child. We went to um, church and I started singing at church. My auntie was the choir director. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had two cousins, they're twins, and we were like the three amigos. So whenever I had a solo, my cousins was right there to back me. So that was where it all started. It all started in church. At four. At four. That is ridiculous. She must have had an amazing voice. You know. Pitch-wise even, to be able to pitch at that age. Well, yeah, it was, um, I I learned to mimic artists growing up. So for me, it was very like, ooh, I like the way Michael Jackson sounds. At four years old. Gonna be good, Jay. You know, so my mom would be like, what is he doing? What is he doing? So they gave me a solo and it wasn't like it was a little four-year-old singing a song. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, he's owning this. He's owning this. And I think from out the gate, my mom was all about stage presence. Mm-hmm. So she was like, there was a song called I'm a child of God. So there was a line, you go, tell him I'm a child of God. So my mom said, you get up and you go, tell him I'm a child of God. So when I would, you know, four-year-old, when your parents tell you to do something, you want to make them proud. So I'm singing a song and I go, Tell him I'm a child of God. And I look at my mom like, I did it. You know what I mean? I think that was the catapult into being a performer, but still not realizing it. I just always knew that I was going to be a singer, though. Mm-hmm. At the age of four, I knew that was my journey. That was my road to this, this career. I knew. That is so incredible. But I totally relate to that because mm-hmm. I knew, too, when I was... I think I don't think I was four, but I would have been around five. Okay, okay. But not singing solos in the church, but singing incredible solos in the lounge room mm-hmm. with all the doors and windows Yet belting at the top of my lungs, mimicking also. Yes. Not having a clue, probably oh, yeah. like you, what you were doing, yeah. other than this is what I'm hearing and I'm going to copy that. Yes. And having the, those influences. So 
who were your influences at that age? Oh my goodness, so many. Uh, but one of my favorite artists is Janet Jackson. Um, I love her. I love her blueprint as an artist. I love her message as an artist. I love her sensual tone. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Outside of Janet Jackson, uh, I grew up on Stevie Wonder. My stepfather had a big old creative records. So it was Stevie, it was Cameo, it was Phil Collins, it was uh, Earth, Wind & Fire. It was just Prince, everything. everything. So every weekend, I'd wake up to him playing records. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, little kid, it's Saturday's cleanup day. And I'm like, it's like kingdom. You know what I'm saying? So that, I was inspired by so many artists. And I think that that's why I like all types of music. Mm. Um, I love like Aretha Franklin. I love Patti LaBelle. Oh, yes. I love yes. Patti LaBelle. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, it just comes from a real place with her when she sings. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. Um, and then I also like artists, uh, Mary J. Blige. I grew up on her. She oh. was the very first concert I ever went to. Mm-hmm. So um, inspired by many, but Janet Jackson at the top of my list for so many reasons, concert level, performance level, uh, Michael Jackson, same thing. And then the Jackson 5, of course. Then there's R&B groups like Boys to Men who I grew up on and just, I was exposed to so much and I was like a sponge just Mm. absorbing it. Yes. And all great singers. Mm -hmm. So the people that you were mimicking were actually really good (laughs) singers. You weren't mimicking people who were overproduced as many of the artists are today in in the recording studios. All their natural timbre is stripped away. You were listening to real singers. Real singers who actually did. This is not a, shape but it just is the truth who did the the work in the studio Mm -hmm. who didn't have the experience of pressing a button and flying the vocals over yeah my first experience in the studio there was no sample where you copied and paste so i had to sing the hook over and over and over again so then when the time came i remember being in the studio my uncle's like you don't have to sing the hook this many times anymore i was like what do you mean he said well now we just press this button and we can fly it over. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because back in the day, there was no auto tune no, either. No. You had to sing it in pitch. Yes. It's none of this. Oh, yes. just sing it once through, and we we'll just it. we'll just play with it now. Spend the next week fixing it, mm-hmm. and you know we just like your look. Yep. We'll just have you for the yep. look and what you bring, yeah. not your talent. Right. When, as you said, we're not throwing. We're not, it's yeah, facts are facts. Yes. <laughs> so, when did you then transition into a professional career? Um, I started at the age of nine. Uh, my mom put me in a performing arts school, Marla Gibbs Conservatory. And that was my first experience about, you know, doing production and and singing. And I got in trouble in class. So I decided the best way to get out of trouble is to actually show the teacher I can sing because he didn't know. And um, I got up there and I did Whitney Houston, I Believe the Children Are Our Future. And he was like, what? The whole time? You've been here the whole time? And then that started everything went into the studio started recording records and it just kept progressing from there mm-hmm. so at the age of nine and also doing film and television at the age of nine like wow. booking stuff and um yeah that was just it that's incredible and you shared a little secret with me mm-hmm. and that is that your mum is your manager yes and I had to laugh because like I'm going oh my gosh she's I kind of do that with my kids as mm-hmm, well, but mm-hmm. not to the extent that your mum does. But she walked beside you yes. at at the age of nine. If you're working with these kinds of people in recording companies, yes. music labels, yes. you must have been exposed to things that you weren't prepared for. Absolutely. And did not understand. Absolutely. And that you must have been like so grateful that you had your mom walking Absolutely. I, you know, I'm so thankful that she was there the whole time. And even when she decided to let someone else try to manage me, she still was over there, showed her like, hey. But um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I think that my few record deals that I had, you know, they would try to, hey, we want to take him to do this. She was like, that's great. I'm coming with him. There was no, <laughs> you couldn't get me without my mom. And a lot of people didn't like that. Mm. But, she was protecting me because you can be exposed to so much in the music industry 
uh, it's it's a crazy place. It's a crazy place. And, you know, I've had experiences where the execs that I was, you know, under might be having affairs. And I was confused as a kid, like, wait, didn't I just meet their, their wife? I'm not sure what's going on. And, and just being exposed to... <laughs> Different set of morals. Yes, yes, yes. You you see a lot, and I feel for the younger art, the artists who have started off at a young age and were very successful because you're exposed to so much, mm. and they, they 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 tend to push you to do what they want. And because my mother was there, they didn't have a chance. She was like, he sings about what he wants to sing about. He'll write about what he wants to write about. Do not ask him to do something he does not want to do. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. You are so lucky. Because how many of these child stars end up really messed up? Yeah, yeah. And as you shared with me earlier, mm-hmm. I always thought that, say, for example, Britney Spears, right. that her father micromanaged her and was always present in all the dealings with record companies, right. executives. But as you said, he kind of said, yeah. well, no, take my child and yeah. do what you want with when her. When she started after the Mickey Mouse Club, because I am a fan of Britney Spears. Yes, um, same. I, I watched the whole documentary and, you know, just kind of studied her path, her journey. Uh, she had an opportunity and her parents allowed her to go to New York without them and live there. They did, they did have a um, chaperone. Yes. And she stayed with her. But still, Britney was exposed to a lot of things at a young age. And then they also changed the way she would perform and sing. Because Brittany was a country singer, a belter. And then they were like, we want you to pop. You don't have to worry about that. And guess what happens when you don't practice working your your muscle? You forget. You don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. And I think that I think that it's very important that parents are in the room with their children, especially if they're getting a record deal because they are exposed. You have to protect them. Yes, yes. And you said earlier as well that your first experience in New York, your mum was there with you. Yes. And there was another time when you went to North Carolina. Yes. And it was your mum and your sister. And my sister. (laughs) So the record label moved from New York to North Carolina and uh, they just wanted the artists to be in a comfortable space, be able to create. And so they were like, we want Alfred to come to North Carolina. She was like, great, get us a ticket. And uh, she's like, also his sister's kind of. So she's like, this is a family trip. We're going to go together. And it, it literally was that. And it's funny because I didn't tell you this, but my sister's a singer as well. Oh, okay. And she was just a sponge watching her brother experience all these things. You know, here I am traveling at, at this point, maybe 13, 14 in these major studios and the pressure of being, okay, you got to write these songs and not knowing what to do because this is all new. Yeah. It's just fun when you're a kid. Yeah. I just want to sing. I want to dance. Yeah. But you don't think about the business part and also people taking the fun out of your creativity. Mm. And that is a challenge. And they're trying to mold you into Mm -hmm. being someone that you're not. Yes. And something that you're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So how different do you think your journey would have been if you didn't have your mum there to step in and to speak up in situations where you had an authoritative figure Mm -hmm. telling you what to do and you probably wouldn't have had a voice in that situation as a youngster? Yeah, I think if my mother wasn't around during the process, I probably would be an artist that I'm not. I would have been exposed to things I shouldn't have been exposed to. I would have been, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Because if you just go out there, they're like, do this, do this, do this. This is who you are. You're still learning who you are as a young man and still developing. Yeah. And the powers that be say, I need to record it this way. But to have your mother there who knows who you are mm. and believes in what who you are to say he doesn't understand that. Or he's not going to do that. And she was never rude to the record exec. She's just like, that's I am. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel vulnerable at any time, even with your mum there? Was there ever a time where you felt, oh, you know, I'm just not comfortable here. I don't want to be here. Do you share one story about being in the yeah, back of yeah. the cab? There was one time we were in, um, we were in New York and I was having 
dinner with one of the record execs and their wife. And we were getting to park the car and his wife was nagging him about parking here, parking there. And uh, he snapped at her and he didn't say some nice things to her, which triggered something for me, which made me cry. And um, how old were you at that time? I probably was 13 or 14. And he didn't understand why I was crying. And my mom was like, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like men disrespecting women. You know, she's like, he grew up seeing me and his stepfather have issues. He doesn't like that. It's a, and so I remember he apologized and we sat at the table and he was like, I'm sorry, honey, right? We're sorry. And the kids like, well, look, we're fine. I was like, <laughs> I said, your wife is not your dog. You don't mistreat her. Like, and I'm a little kid and I'm just telling, telling him, like, I don't like that. That's disrespectful. She is your prize. Like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a moment where I was, I literally took the moment and I said, I want to go home. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm not surprised that even back then you were like that because just in the few times that we've spoken mm-hmm. and I've got to know you a little bit more, you truly are a gentleman and you're so together. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, many performing artists that have had your journey are not, but you are just so together. You have, I can see, amazing morals and credit to you and credit you. to your mum. Yes. Thank goodness for the mum Yes, mama Yes. Oh. You know, it's not easy being, you know, the son and being an artist and your mom may not, as an adult, I'm older now, may not like everything I write, you know? She might be like, ooh. In terms of content. Lyric, content, yes. lyrics. Uh, I, don't, ooh, I don't know. I'm like, mom, I'm older now. I can't be this little boy. But now I'm ready to talk about these things, you know? And she'll kind of go, okay, now some of her favorite songs. <laughs> At first, it was like too much information. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, oh, yeah. I actually don't mind that tune. And she's singing it all uh-huh. the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's well. that, it's the, those parents who are managers, there's a moment of growing pains. You have to realize your child is also growing up, and you have to allow room for that. And sometimes they may go in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a boy band. My mother said, do not do it. You are a solo artist. Do not go to that boy band. I didn't listen. I went. But there was a lesson in it. There mm-hmm. was a lesson in it. I wouldn't be the vocalist I am today if I wasn't in that group. Mm-hmm. Watching you interact with the other two members of Uptown mm-hmm. on stage, you have a very, well, you described it as loud. Someone had said you were loud. <laughs> and you have a very resonant voice. Mm-hmm. You, I don't consider... It's perceived to be louder, mm-hmm. is what I say, because yes. it is so resonant. And then with the amplification, you can imagine the power and the sound. But when it comes to singing with the other two and you have three-part harmonies yes. going on, the blend is impeccable. Thank you. You cannot hear a difference in the volume. You can't signal out one voice. It's just seamless. So obviously you would have learned skills like that working in another boy band. Absolutely. I've been in a few. (laughs) I've been in a few. And each time, each was a different experience. The first time I was in a group called Third Story. And that actually put me in the the face of the record execs that time in the first time. Uh, We went and we had a meeting. And my mother said, whatever you do, just let your light shine. So I was like, okay, you know. So I go in there, we did I'll Be There, and we did the original song. And after the meeting, they were like, we don't like the group, but we want Ace. Ace was my name when I was in the group. And the and, reason... Yeah, yes. tell us So the they were like, why Ace? Why that name? I said, well, Ace is the highest step of cards, and I sing the high. I, I sing really high. And so they were like, oh, okay. So that was my name, Ace. Yeah. So what happened to the other two? The other two groups? The other, the other members oh. in the boy band. Um, so after that, I took a meeting with the label and uh, I kept in touch with the boys for a while. And then eventually they formed, they found a new member and kind of just lost contact. One of the guys I still kept in touch with for mm-hmm. a few years, he was like a big brother to me. And he was like, I understand you have to make this decision. It's an opportunity. And I haven't talked to them. I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the groups. And then um, the other group was Formula One. 
Four Males United in LA. We were all from LA, four guys. And um, yes, it was our spinoff of the race car thing. So we had the jackets. That was our whole branding. And we signed to an indie label based in Miami mm-hmm. through Warner Brothers. And um, we got the record deal. We toured with Sierra, uh, Lloyd, a whole bunch of different groups. Uh, it was a great experience. But what I learned from that group, because I used to get teased for singing high, the other lead singer of the group, he said, you sing high. He's because that's our money maker. Yes. And I was like, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. He was like, no, I want you to just remember that because they don't expect that. When you look at the group, you see him, you think he's the one that sings high. Mm-hmm. He's the one that has the little gritty voice. Then you look at me thinking I'm the one with the gritty voice, but I'm the one with the high voice. So you do sing, <laughs> you do sing so high. And I was trying to figure out, okay, so I can't, I can't always hear a note and go, it's an A4 or whatever it is. Right. But you were singing well above a C5 uh-huh. in pure belt. <laughs> now, most, well, I shouldn't say most, but many females can't even sing a C5 in belt. Mm. So it's no mix. It was, it was just pure belting, yes. healthily produced. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Uh, (laughs) I mean, what happened when you went through puberty? Yes. Did your voice not plummet? So I I went through puberty and I remember I had a show and my voice was starting to change. And I called my uncle crying. I was like, I can't can't sing the way I used to sing. And he was like, it's okay. It's okay. Here's what I want you to do. Keep singing high. Whatever you do, just keep singing high. He said, and don't substitute the notes for lower notes because then your voice is going to yes. be conditioned to singing that low and mm-hmm. you're going to lose your range. Mm-hmm. And he said, and then if it ever feels like you can't really push that note, I want you to squeeze every muscle and shoot that note out. I was like, what? He said, squeeze every hole, every muscle. Oh my said, Sorry, this is what he said. And I was like, okay. And that helped. I would every morning get up and any song that I had recorded that was in my higher register, I would push. He said, because it's a muscle. You have to keep, he said, now you're not going to be able to sing what you used to, but you'll still have range. And so I just kept perfecting it. And then, you know, at one point I was scared because like I said, I thought I was loud too. So I wouldn't use it as much. But then when people would hear it, they'd go, oh my yes, gosh. Yes. See, a lot of singing teachers would be horrified to hear this because you squeezing everything, there's a lot of tension there. And tension is not our friend as singers. And we we don't encourage that with our students. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like maybe he was meaning like brace yourself. Yeah. He was like, well, like if you look at an artist like Beyonce, sometimes when she belts, she has a tilt, she has a lean, there's a way that she's trying to get that air to flow out. And there's like a, you know what I mean? Yes. So I think that's what he meant. And it's funny. There's another artist who does celebrity cruises. Her name is Aretha. Aretha. She does Aretha. Her name is Charity Lockhart. I noticed with her, when she does her belt, she has a stance. And she leans back. Wow. And it just goes. So one day I said, I'm going to try to see if that works. Mm-hmm. It works. It works? Yeah. Okay. The note clean clean do you do that in the show yes when i do the stevie wonder when i hit that now ah, mm-hmm. i didn't notice that yeah, little, i missed that it's a little stance <laughs> have you ever had vocal issues vocal issues like, outside of puberty no <laughs> outside of, so you've never lost your voice okay you've never had vocal fatigue like nodules, I, any pathologies. I had, I lost my voice once, like really bad. And I know why. Yes. Um, I was doing a concert and I wanted fans on stage. So we were doing sound check. It was like two nights before the actual show. And I just was singing in front of this fan. <sighs> like beautiful. Next day, gone. Really? Completely gone. And why was that? The air was going straight at me. Air conditioning? No, I had like a fan. You know how oh, they, a fan. an actual fan on stage. I yeah. thought you meant a fan as oh, in no. a person. <laughs> no. Uh, I was saying what only one. <laughs> I was singing to a fan. I was going, come on, Alfred, you have lots of fans. <laughs> no, 
So yes, the fa- you know how they have the fans yes, on stage. Yeah, like yeah, because you know you like the effects with blowing your jacket. Yes, and the girl dances in the hair. Yes. So I was really in rehearsal, really feeling it, and that's not good for you vocally, mm-hmm. and it has to be angled the right way. Mm-hmm. I learned that later, but it completely took my voice, and I had a show today, and so my mom was like, "Okay, rest. You can't sing anymore. Let's let's get something back. Listen to the mama job." Rest, she said, take this echinacea. <laughs> so I took the echinacea and uh, I did a lot of sleeping. And then the day of the show, a good friend of mine, he, we went to high school together. He came and we did vocal warm-ups together. And he just was like, your voice tells you what it can do. Listen. And that's probably one of the, the best advice I've ever heard. Your voice, you have, during a show, it will let you know. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Don't. We're not here today. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's so important because mm-hmm. as performers, whether we're a singer, dancer, actor, if we don't work, we usually don't get paid. Right. So many, many of us will still keep working even when we shouldn't be because of the paycheck. Yes. We don't listen. Yes. But ultimately that ends up long-term being more Damaging. problematic. Yes. It's yes. like short-term pain, stop for long-term gain and don't keep working yes, through it. Yes, I remember doing a Christmas tour and because of California, heat, warmth, but when we were doing these shows, we were extremely cold and my body was like, I can't take this coldness. Um, and then my voice started to sound very like, <clears throat> and um, I was like, how do I get through this show? And I just had to make smart choices. Yes. You know, very smart choices. And I remember one of the girls she was like, oh, you know, get some rest. You need your inflammation to go down. Maybe see a doctor sees it and give you something for your inflammation. And eventually it'll come back. But that was like my experience of doing, you know, performing in cold weather. It's the, the climate change, all mm-hmm. that affects your voice. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you see singers, you're like, why do they have this scarf on? It's because they're protecting their gift. Yes. Regardless of, because it could be hot outside. I know I'm wearing a plunging <laughs> shirt right now, but, you know, usually I'm like wrapped yeah, up. Yeah. The air conditioner is not hard for it as well. Yes. And <laughs> what about all the travel? Does that, because as a guest entertainer at the moment, I know you've done a lot of traveling throughout your career. Yes. And we're still getting to some of those yeah. other other highlights of your career. Mm-hmm. But what about all the travel? Does that affect you? Absolutely. You get very tired and it's dry. It can be very dry from all the traveling. And then I, we did a show recently where we got off the plane and went straight to the ship. And they're like, you have a show tonight. Huh? Got to water, you know, do all that. And I don't like to, a lot of people like to drink tea before they sing. That doesn't work for me. No. I don't think that's a smart thing to do. No. But people have their own things. I've they do. Who eats chocolate before he sings. No. <laughs> <laughs> My sister and I will do um, chips, like Lay's, because of the salt. Really? We'll do that. And I'll do, uh, I'll chew gum just for moisture. I guess. And then I like French fries just from the salt. I'll chew a little bit of French fries before I sing. Really? But I won't do the lemon or ginger, none of that the day of a show. Before, I'll do the ginger tea, all of that, but I can't, because I feel it just does something to your voice. Well, we're all different, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. And I always say, look, there's no right or wrong. It's right. what works for, for you. you. Yeah. And and I've come off my pedestal as, as a singing teacher where you go, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's like, well, if it works for you. Go ahead and do it. I don't see it. I know some singers who take a shot before they sing. Mm, I, I can't. I can't do that. No. Absolutely not. No. No. And I'm I'm shocked because they still sound great. But I'm like, well, how long have you been doing yeah. this? Yeah. So what about pre-show? So obviously you have your little ritual mm-hmm. then as far as what you eat. Yeah. But what about warm-up? What do you do? Do you warm <laughs> up with the other two? With no, Jonathan? no. Um, everybody has their own thing. Ali does a warm-up. Jonathan does a warm-up. I, um... <laughs> okay. I, I can tell by the laughter this is going to be evil. <laughs> no, I, so I, I'll get in the shower and I just check to see if those big money notes, if they're there. I go, okay. I can hit that. I do a few lip trills. Yes. And then 
I use the sound check as a way of warming it up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually what I do. Do, and you, then, do you do your sound check full out? Ish. Ish. ish yes, because I like to make sure that I'm that it's there. So I'll use like, oh, I'll change things up vocally in sound check because that's when you play because you also try new things to see when you're going to try that in the show. But mm-hmm. those money notes, I always like to check that they're there and they're okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those money notes. When Alfred <laughs> talks about money notes, I am going to share some of your performances okay. in the promo <laughs> for this episode because people need to hear what you can do. Mm-hmm. You are unbelievable. Thank you. And so those money notes are gold. Thank you. They really are gold. Okay, so now I'm going to back back a little bit again. All right. Because we've gone way forward. Yeah. You know, all very relevant and amazing to hear. Mm -hmm. All these recording opportunities, what ended up amounting with those? Has anything, did your career propel forward as a result of recording contracts? So uh, with recording, so basically I had a publishing deal. And that went somewhere. I had a few song placements. I did a TV show. I wrote an opening theme song for Cindy Margolis at the time. I had a song on Ally McMill show. But outside of the publishing, um, as far as the record deal goes, it was a we. They would either shop me, and things didn't work out relationship wise, or I just felt like we hit a wall. So let's let's just cut our ties. And there was one where they were like, "We're not letting you on your contract." Why? This is it's not working out because we don't want to. Okay, so no reason. <clears throat> no reason. So I was just like, okay. So with this particular contract, you know, after seven years, it doesn't exist anymore. So that's kind of what happened. But then you could there's there's ways, I'm not gonna say, but there are ways to get around. I mean, you have different names as an artist. So Yes. <laughs> yes. You know. Right. Um, so they I never know, thought yeah, of that. You signed that artist. I'm this artist. Um, wow. Uh, so you don't. So just say that they have music rights mm-hmm. or copyright or publishing yeah. rights yeah. for five years, mm-hmm. and you've signed as Alfred Jackson, and then you go and sign as Ace. Ace. AJ. <laughs> they can't do anything about it because I'm not even touching those songs. It's a whole new. Wow, I yeah. didn't even consider that. Yeah, yeah. There, That's there are ways, and also have a good lawyer. <laughs> Always help. <laughs> um, and a good momager. And a good momager, yes. But yeah, uh, bad contracts, them not happening. I remember meeting with one record exec. I just knew this was it. I've got the deal. And uh, he kept flying me to New York, Miami. I was like, I'm meeting all the artists, like some of my favorite artists. And um, I'm like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then after all of that, ghost, nothing, no call. And then a few months went by and then he's like, hey, I'm in L.A. I want you to come down to the hotel and meet Johnny Gill and all these artists who I grew up loving. And I'm sitting in the room with these guys. And it was a meeting about being a writer. And I was like, hmm. I still want to be an artist. So we went into a separate room and I said, hey, I'm ready. And he said, you have to understand how it works. Oh, uh, Record label, it's like, think of it like a football team. You've got your varsity, you've got all these different players that you've got to take care of first and you just got to wait in line. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, wow. So there's nothing about me that makes you want to just, because the, the line is, you're a star. You're a star. You're a star. <laughs> yes. Okay. And? Now, now what? what? Yeah. You know, well, let's start you off with writing. I want you to write for these artists and you'll build credit for your name. And then we'll put you out. I was like, well, that sounds like a long time, you know, because when you're a songwriter, unfortunately, it's still about names, you know, mm-hmm. and then you just have to, you know, God willing, be in the right room at the right time and get that moment or just happen to write three words on a song. You're like, I wrote that song with Beyonce. Because this is what I wrote, you know. So that didn't work out. I had a few situations where I get right to the door and the door closes. But I've learned that those doors were meant to be closed because they were not meant for me. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't be the artist I am today 
if those doors had closed. Mm-hmm. Seeing as we have many singing teachers who listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. what about your training? At any point of time, did you have vocal training, like formal training? And no, I just had the performing arts school and uh, high school. Um, so I had training at high school and a performing arts school, but it was never like a, a one-on-one. I will say there was one teacher name was Cassie Davis. And um, I had, we were doing Fame, the musical Fame, one of my favorites. Uh, yes. Favorite character is Nick. You know Nick? Uh, um, so she, it was time for me to do my solo with her. She's like, what'd you do today? I said, oh, I went to the studio before I came here. She's like, really? What'd you record? I said, oh, this song I wrote. She said, what's it called? I said, baby, I'm sorry. She said, sing it for me. <laughs> So I was like, baby, I'm sorry. She said, what? I said, baby, I'm sorry. What? Babe, she said, stop. What are you saying? So what do you mean? She said, open your mouth. <laughs> baby, I'm sorry. Sing it. And I was like, what well, thought? She's like, no, no one understands that. Baby, I'm sorry. She's like, don't sing like that. Don't yeah. sing like that. Let it out. Open your mouth. And when she said that, it was like, okay. So that was probably the closest thing to like a, you know, one-on-one. Other than that, it's being in a studio with different vocal arrangers and kind of going, I'll sing like this. There's that mimicking thing again. Oh, sure, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just being exposed and and being in the performing arts. Yes. So have you learned how to, like, there's a thing in the the singing voice community about the word support? Absolutely. You know, some people don't like the word support, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> so have you learned about how to support the voice and, and how to manage breath and yes. airflow? And yes. So they teach that at the school. Oh, at the? With the class. Yeah, at the conservatory. All of that is taught at the school. Okay. So, yeah, they'll do, like, this is the way you, these are breathing techniques. These are the exercises. Um, you know, lay on the floor, put a book on your stomach, expand, all of that. So, Yes. Yes. Okay. So you have had that kind. Yeah, of that kind. Just not one on one. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about then? You have done a few musicals, yes. and you were in Book of Mormon. I was in Sydney, Australia. Yes. But you've done a number of musicals. Yeah. How did you get into musicals? Um, the Conservatory, Amazing Grace Conservatory. I it started there. Um, at first, it was my love for just music. And then I knew I wanted to be an actor. And then pulling those two together, that's the perfect combination, you know? So we did Little Shop of Horrors. I played Seymour. We did West Side Story. I played A-Rab. We did uh, The Wiz. I was part of the ensemble cast, but it was so great to be a part of the ensemble cast. There was Yellow Brick Road, The Funky Monkeys, all these different characters, which were very important to the show. And a lot of times as young performers, we get so caught up in the ensemble title like I'm, I'm really good i could have been i could have been other uh, ways i could and you have to realize in casting they cast you in what they need you for it's a full picture it's not just you and i had to learn that mm-hmm. i really had to learn that and when i did the whiz that's when i saw and learned the importance of casting and how they how they do it yes yeah mm-hmm. and how was your experience in australia oh, australia is great how was the show what about your mom then? How did she feel about the content oh. in that show? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember about the show and she was like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. What was funny is my grandmother, she's very religious and she says, I understand you're a performer and you have to do what you have to do. Congratulations. And I was like, that's big. That's big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my mom and my sister, they flew out to Australia for Christmas and they came to see the show and they enjoyed it. They thought it was very funny. Um, they were Did like, you feel uncomfortable having them there at first? <laughs> so I think the first song for me was Hasadiga. If you've seen the show, you know what that's about. So I don't want to give it away to anyone who hasn't seen the show. I was nervous about that because we used the F word and um, she was fine. She was fine. She just was like, it's a show. I get it. Mm-hmm. I understand. And uh, they had a good time. A that's few friends flew out as well. It was like, a, wow. yeah, yeah. I have, that would have been so proud. Yeah, yeah. I have a great support system, my family, and I have some wonderful, amazing best friends who, when I lived in Japan, flew out to Japan. Like, they're always like, wherever you go, I'm coming. That's so I appreciate cool. that. That's yeah. so cool. And you've also done Universal 
studios in Japan for years. Four years. You must have loved that gig. I did. I did. You know, I love the culture. I love the discipline. Um, And I was just amazed about, but um, I love the culture. I love the discipline. I love uh, my first experience of going to the temples in Japan and all of that zen peacefulness. But it was a great experience because that particular contract also was a challenge because my show was outside. They call it the atmosphere show. Oh, yes. So we were outside during the snow, during the rain, during freezing, freezing, hot, hot. Like we have cold version, hot version. I learned a lot. And sometimes we had to do sound checks at like 5 a.m., which kind of gets your voice to be able to work in any type of weather. And you can wake up and go, yeah, I can sing because I know what to do to sound good at 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. So my first contract was a great experience. I had a friend who did it before me. She said, whatever you do, don't do the second contract right after. She said, because you want to still appreciate where you work. I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, I did it back to back and I found myself not loving it anymore. I should have went away and then came back. So I'm like, okay. So after my first contract, I left, did another gig in LA. And they called me and said, we need you to come back. So when I came back, I was like, I'm home. Mm-hmm. I'm home. Mm-hmm. I knew where I was going. You know, so I did that contract, went home again and said, can you come back, please? Did it again. And then the third time I went back, I said, hey, I want to do another full contract for 13 months. And they were like, cool. And the great thing about that was I built relationships. I was able to choreograph for their parade, uh, choreograph their um, banquet shows um, and be a part of the creative process at a music park because it's very exciting. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like to me you not only loved the job, but you loved the lifestyle. Yeah. And you said the zen. Yeah. And as performers, our lifestyles can be really crazy and hectic. Mm-hmm. Have you taken away some of those things that you learned during your time in Japan and still continue to, have they become like habitual for you? Um, yeah, I, I find myself... My alone time is very important to me. And because I was, it was my first time being away from my mom in Japan and my family, I found myself alone with me, discovering me. And um, a lot of times I like to, before a show or anything like that, especially in Japan, just to be by myself for a minute. And that's in that peaceful place. And it just kept going from there. Like whenever I do any contracts, even with the guys, like they'll be like, all right, show's done. We're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go to my room. <laughs> yeah. I need a minute. What do you do for self-care in oh. terms of looking after yourself emotionally, physically, and mentally? Yes, self-care. Uh, what's important for me, uh, <laughs> going to the gym keeps me in a good place, working out, and um, keeping in touch with my family, and uh, getting close to my grandmother. Those ah. are some grandmother sends quotes to my sister and I. Uh, every morning. Really? Every yeah. day, like an affirmation? Mm-hmm. Stuff from the Bible or just things she's seen that she thinks would encourage us. And then I, I like to pray in the morning and just kind of do like a, uh, sometimes I'll do this thing where I look in the mirror and talk to myself. You are enough. You are talented. You will be successful. That's stuff that helps me uh, keep one foot forward, you know, move to the next day. Um, vocally, I like to sleep. It's very important to get rest because for me, we're on a cruise ship. And yes, we only do shows twice out of the the run of the week. I could go out and party, but for me, I still like, I feel like I'm still working. So because I'm still working, I'm still on contract. I'm not going to get carried away with something like that because you don't know what they'll spring up on you. Hey, someone got sick. Your show's early now. And I went out. And now I have to find this voice. <laughs> so um, I try to rest. I try to rest. I try to find. I basically basically find me time. I like. I really enjoy my alone time. It's very mm-hmm. important. I think mm-hmm. I used to be scared of it to be by myself. My my brother. He's not my blood brother, but he is my brother. He says when you're okay with being alone, that shows how much you're comfortable with yourself. You love yourself, and that is something that I continue to work on. Being okay with being by myself and enjoying myself. My next goal is to take a trip by myself. 
Really? Yeah. So what kind of trip are you talking about? Um, something tropical. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So that kind of... Yeah, like, because most of the time when I'm on vacation, I'm working. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a great job. You're, yes. You're seeing the world. Yes. But I'm still working. Yes. And I want to be able to go on a trip where I don't have to sing, <laughs> unless I want to do karaoke and it'd be okay, and just enjoy me, mm-hmm. you know? You said earlier that your grandmother sends you little affirmations and that you look in the mirror and you say things like, I am worthy, I'm worth it. I'm enough, yes. I'm enough. Was there ever a time in your career that you didn't feel enough? Absolutely. Um, Growing up being in this industry, you know, record labels like to get that. And for me, it was, you can sing but you're overweight, you need to lose weight, or let's cut your hair, let's close your gap, you know, stuff like that. So gap. My teeth. There was an issue, I guess. And it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I'm 16 and I'm being told I'm talented, but I'm not talented enough to get the deal because of a weight issue. So I battled with weight going up and down. And then, you know, my mom was like, we're going to all eat healthy. We're going to help make this change. And um, it's still, even after that, after losing weight, it was just always something. And, you know, there was one guy who was like, you're a great writer. If I had your voice with this, like a hot guy, put it together, that'd be the, that'd be it. And I was like, does he not realize he's dissing me? Like, this is, this is very interesting. Yeah. So it made me feel like I can't, I'm not the hot guy. I'm not this. It started to just tear up, pull me down. And, you know, growing up being called ugly, uh, what that experience and then to have it into your adulthood and feel that, feel less than, um, to feel like you have a gift, but your gift isn't enough because of the image that needs to be created. And, you know, there was nothing wrong with me, but at that time, I thought there was. Of course. I'm in a boy band. You've got the two guys with the six packs. I'm considered the big one because I'm not as slim as them. I wasn't big, but I wasn't their size. You know what I'm saying? So there was a lot of personal battles I was going through. Did you ever feel depressed? Absolutely. There were times where I just stare at myself in the mirror and get pick at myself and like pull on, pull on my fat and wish I didn't look this way. There, there's a song on my album called Ugly where I talk about wishing my skin was a lighter shade of brown. No. Yeah. And uh, because of all the nitpicking, and thinking, oh, well, if I was a lot of complexion, this wouldn't be the issue just because of what I was saying and what I saw, mm-hmm. you know? So how did you overcome that? Um, I think, one, having really good friends to uh, instill and inspire you and, and feed your affirmations and help you see the beauty in yourself. But also for me, therapy was writing, writing songs going through things and acknowledging how I got through them and noticing my worth. Mm-hmm. If they don't see your dream, they're not meant to see it. Mm-hmm. They're not meant to be a part of it. Yes. And uh, prayer and just learning to love me and being proud of me mm-hmm. for achieving body goals that I want to achieve. I, You know, when my brother, he said, I'm going to tell you now, you'll never be skinny. So just know that. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, like, you lose weight, but your body is made the way it's supposed to be. So even when you lose weight, it's going to just own the frame that God has given you. You're never going to be this skinny boy. Like, that's just not going to happen. And um, it kind of just rang in my ear. And I was like, you know, he's right. Just just eat healthy, be healthy, take care of your voice. And, you know, when it's picture day, you got a photo shoot, you just get even more clean, you know, because, you know, it's coming up. When I do concerts for my artist stuff, I go in a strict eating regimen because I want the outfits to look a certain way. I want to give you the show of show. You need to see that pop star show. But it's not because I'm not small enough because you can accept me in any size I am. But, yeah, I think just building my confidence and loving me, loving me. So profound. There's a lesson in that for everybody because so many artists feel like they're the only ones that are going through that kind of yeah. thing in this industry, mm-hmm. but it's it's a common thread and made me realise that it's not just women who are body shamed. Oh. I, I thought it was very much women 
but I didn't realize that it was such a thing that that guys are too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And where are you at now? What are you working on right now? Where am I right now? I just released an album, UGLY, Your Greatest Legacy is You. Uh, I came out July 17th. And I'm very, very proud of it because it touches on self-love, self-worth, relationships, knowing when to let go. It's like my own personal diary of my thoughts and my experiences. And I wanted to inspire other people to choose choose you. It's very important to choose you because you, you have to do that first. Even yes. in relationships, family, because your happiness is very important. That's how you stay sane. And then you realize what you're willing to put up with and what you're not willing to put up with. The other thing is legacy. In my community, you know, I wasn't taught about legacy. I was taught to survive. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to encourage more people in my community to the importance of generational wealth. You know, I'm young. I can set a foundation now for my children's children's children. And I think it's very important that we know more about that and what we can do to leave a name for ourselves, how we can leave that imprint. You decide what this life is. You own it. You make the decision. Your greatest legacy is who? Yes. You. Yes. Yes. It's your path. Yes. So, yeah, that's what this album is about. Uh, side A and then Side B will come out next year, which is more pop music because I love to dance. Uh, I have noticed. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really excited. We're in the process of I'm listening to new records. I've already recorded some records, but you know how that fine-tuning goes with recording song. Mm-hmm. So in wrapping up, what advice would you give to up-and-coming artists? My advice to up-and-coming artists, uh, number one, you are enough. And uh, don't ever compromise what you stand for as an artist. Because some people don't see and understand your dream, your brand. And if they don't see, they're not meant to be a part of it. Don't change what you stand for. It's very, very important. And have fun. Being an artist you're supposed to have fun. And if someone's taking the fun out of it, they're probably not meant to be in that, that realm. Mm-hmm. And surround yourselves with people who are going to be honest with you to tell you the truth. Your team is very important. But most importantly, be yourself, be authentic, be creative. And if, don't ever second guess yourself. If you know something that you want to do, just do it. Even if it's not, doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, just do it. Yeah. Because if it doesn't work, you can do something else. No regrets. No regrets. Yes. And what about for singing teachers? What advice have you for singing teachers? Uh, my advice for singing teachers is it's very important to let your students know that they're in a safe place. Uh, what I tell my students, like, listen, you're going to crack. You're going to hit bad notes. It's okay. This is the place where it's okay. So feel free to explore because it's safe. It's a safe place. I think that the artist needs to feel safe so that they can explore and be able to grow. Yes. And that's what this podcast stands for too. And that's what I advocate for is creating safe spaces for all voices to be heard. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because they're all different. Yes, we are all different and we have to find our most authentic voice. Yes. And as voice teachers, we have to allow that in our students too. It's very important. And so you have your uh, latest work that's coming out, that's being released. Part of it has been released already. Yes. We're going to share that the link to all your work in the show notes with the listeners. Do yourselves a favour and go and listen to Alfred Jackson. (laughs) He is incredible and I feel very privileged that you have allowed me to interview you, Thank you on this podcast. It's been such a joy getting to know you. You are a true gentleman. Thank you. Such a, a remarkable human. Keep shining your light. Thank you, you. You are brilliant. So thank you and best wishes to you for your future. Thank you so much. Okay. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, 
please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you, I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.